Morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you this morning. It's my joy to share the next part in our series on Thessalonians with you as well. Um, what a week it's been, hey, in the life of the nation this week. Just want to encourage you, um, along with those words that we've heard this morning, which actually fits beautifully into my preach as well. No surprise, God's uh, working there. But just to be open to the Spirit at the moment, in particular to share with people the hope that we have in Jesus. So as Rob said, just to point people to, to Jesus off the back of some of the events that have happened this week. We have a hope that goes beyond the grave. We have a hope that is steadfast and certain. So be open to that. Now, most of you will be able to identify with this and uh, uh, where you get You'd either seen it in other people or you yourself would have experienced this as well, where you get two normal, rational people who all of a sudden, when they become parents, turn into these overprotective, these caring, sort of sappy, soppy type people that just are there doting over their little bundle of fun, how they start adding words like, uh, start adding letters like Y or IE after random words. So there's no reason to. So a blanket becomes a blankie and a drink becomes a drinkie, all just to try and please that massive crying, pooing machine that is your child. I was no exception. Let me just say that. I, you know, if you speak to Anna, Apparently, I was one of the worst of uh, uh, people like that when my, when my children were little. There's a picture of my very cute Bethy Wethy up there. No, she's not. <laughs> Elizabeth is, uh, is her name, and uh, yes, she'll hate me for saying that. But anyway, you know, for the sake of the child that they love, parents will forego their freedom. They'll forego sleep, even forego their sanity to look after this bundle of fun. It's very natural. It's very normal. And actually, it's a little bit sometimes sad when you don't see it, when parents don't seem to be besotted with their children, often a sign of something is not quite right. Well, in the passage that we're going to look at today in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to see how the Apostle Paul felt exactly the same over extending the kingdom of God. You can see it in the language that he uses there, although I'm sure he didn't put on a strange voice and uh, make up words. Well, actually, he did make up, so I'll join together some Greek words and things like that. But uh, you can see his love for the church and for the extension of the gospel, and how we are called in several passages to imitate him. So we need to adopt this for ourselves. Morris notes in his book that this is one of the richest descriptions of Christian ministry in the New Testament. So let's read it. We're just going to read eight verses of it. It says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. It should appear on the screen behind me as well if you don't have your Bible. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered 
and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Hallelujah. So today I'm going to look at three things with you. And the first one is how we're called to be declaring the gospel despite any suffering that may come our way. And uh, you can see there in the first two verses, it should um, uh, appear on the screen behind me. There you go. There they are, the first two verses there. That Paul, despite suffering and being shamefully treated for preaching the gospel, and despite the fact there was rising conflict coming in Thessalonica where he was, Paul doesn't question the goodness of God. He doesn't question the sovereignty of God in the situation. He gets on with boldly proclaiming the gospel as he should. Now, I made clear in the introduction to this series a few weeks ago that in Jesus, yes, we'll have trouble. We also have peace in him, and we receive that in Jesus. But the peace that we receive in Jesus is much more about wholeness, fullness, and spiritual well-being in this life than it is about the absence of trouble. We'll get that for all eternity. But in this life, Jesus is clear, we will face trouble. Yes, it is actually true, though, that when you become a Christian, when you became a Christian, that um, your life actually does often get better because God has the best for you. It gets better physically speaking sometimes, mentally speaking, and spiritually speaking. As you save yourself a lot of self-induced trouble by choosing to live God's ways. Because you're transformed and it transforms your relationships with the people around you, you also save yourself a load of trouble that are associated with certain uh, types of lifestyle as well. Plus, because as a believer, you're called to work heartily unto the Lord in all that you do, and you, so you put your effort and heart into working hard, you often get promoted or recognized as rewards in life as well. So in many ways, your life, just practically speaking, will infinitely get better in Jesus. Plus, you also receive God's blessing on you spiritually and, and to some extent physically as well. However, the Bible is clear. When you choose 
to follow Jesus, you come out of the world. You no longer belong to the world. You come out of the kingdom of darkness and you enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, the devil hates you all the more. He hated you anyway, but he hates you even more now that you are a Christian. And as you start to live for God, and as you start to uh, point people to Jesus, the world itself will not like you as you highlight its rebellion towards its creator. Jesus clearly warns us in, in the Gospel of Luke, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The Apostle Paul writes elsewhere, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Elsewhere, Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Apostle Peter, just to labor the point, says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. And we see Paul willingly doing that. Golden Fee writes, uh, commenting on verse 2, Paul was a follower of the crucified one and was not about to let mistreatment in one place keep him from telling people about Christ. My friends, we heard about one of the words that we're, we're in, a, there's a war going on uh, physically uh, around us uh, at the moment in, uh, in the nations of this world, particularly in Europe at this time. But we are spiritually always in a war. And whilst we, in this spiritual battle, are not called to physically fight to extend the kingdom of God, we are told to expect opposition, physically speaking, spiritually speaking, intellectually speaking, socially speaking as well. So don't be surprised, is what I'm saying, when hardship and troubles come your way for following Jesus and standing up for him don't let that stop you and say, oh God, what are you doing? God's told us that will come our way. We just get on with what he has told us to do. And God's not indifferent to your suffering either. He's not just up there unbothered by what's going on in your life. 1 Peter tells us that, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, just helping put it in comparison there, a little bit of suffering to eternal glory, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The Bible also tells us, actually, even in some of the hardships that we go through, we think, God, what's, what's going on? You know, we we, we, we grab, try to have to grab hold of God in those difficult times. God has a purpose in it, eternally speaking, and also in the immediate sense as well, for the sake of his gospel. It says this, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
There is a weight of glory waiting for you in glory when you go to heaven for all the hardships that you have had to endure for the sake of Christ as you faithfully hold on to him. And here and now, God is at work in us and he uses them to help shape us as well. It says in Romans 5, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that sufferings produce endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And I looked at uh, last week the steadfastness of hope that we need. And that word steadfast in the Greek is in the active sense. It's something that we continue pushing into. My friends, God has not called us to have a, a, a comfortable life, physically speaking. Sometimes we have it, but we're not called to... That's not, that's not what he's promising us here and now. Sometimes in his grace, as I say, you, you have it. But God will give that to you, that comfort, all comfort, for, in eternity, beyond anything that you can imagine. But in this age, here and now, we have a job to be getting on with. We have a mission. We have a gospel to be shared with the people around us and with the nations of this world, despite any conflict or suffering that may come our way. And one of the ways, one of the ways that we can make sure that we continue to do this is that if we focus on pleasing God above anybody else, yourself or man, which is my second point, looking at verses 3 to 6. It should... Uh, they're there. Yeah, good. Ultimately, you see, Paul's effort in his life was to please God. He knew that he was approved by God. He knew that he had been entrusted with the gospel. He wasn't trying to act out of any false motives, out of any uh, sense of benefit to himself. In fact, actually, he let go of some of the claims that he could have made as an apostle of Christ that would have benefited his life, but he didn't do that in order to help the gospel go further abroad to those around him. And so great was his desire to please his heavenly Father above anybody else. What about you, my friends? Who do you want to please with your life? You see, you've been entrusted with the gospel. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians makes clear to us. That is, as Rob was saying earlier, we're called to make clear to everyone how they get right with a holy God, how they can avoid his righteous judgment against them for all the things that they have done, all the things that they have said, all the things that they have thought that are wrong and that offend God and that hurt other people. So that firstly, they recognize, oh yeah, actually I know I've, I've done that. I know I've, uh, I've hurt other people. I've offended my creator by how I live. And then they turn to Jesus to get right with God. They put their faith and their trust in him, in his life, his death on the cross where he takes on himself the punishment for our sins and his resurrection so that through him they can be saved. We've all been entrusted with that ministry of reconciliation to tell people that, to point people towards Jesus so that they can be saved. And we're called to do it from our very heart 
as well. Calvin writes, True ministers of the gospel should make it their purpose to do their utmost for God and do it from their heart. You see, in uh, verse 5 in this passage, there are hints there that people were accusing the Apostle Paul of doing it out of trying to get some, either some praise from people or get some money out of people as well. But Paul's focus was not on those things at all. It was on pleasing God. What about you, my friends? What is the focus of your life? Who are you trying to primarily please with your life at this time? If you don't know, if you're thinking, well, I'm not really sure what the focus of my life is, then look at where you choose to spend your time and your finances, and that will give you a pretty good clue of what the focus is of your life. Do you give all those hours at work, trying to work heartily unto the Lord and serve him and bring his kingdom values into your workplace? Or is it for another reason that you give all those extra hours there? Is having a bigger house, a better car, another holiday more important to you than giving generously to the work of God? Jesus is clear. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to be more sold out for the things of God? You want to be more on fire for God? Then invest your finances there and your heart will follow, is what Jesus is saying to you. Who are you trying to please with your life? It's my question to you. You need to be real. You see, 1 Chronicles tells us, the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and every thought. 1 Corinthians tells us the Lord will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. My friends, as your pastor, I want the very best for you in life. And the very best for you is to live a life that is pleasing God above everything else. Because God has the very best for you. Better than anything else you could give your life to. There's fullness of life to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So give yourself to pleasing him. I know many of you do. Continue to do that. Continue to live for him. God is totally worthy of you giving your life to serving him and pleasing him. And in his goodness, he will reward you for all that you do for him as well. well what does a life given over to pleasing God look like? How does it manifest itself in the ordinary day-to-day life? It is earthed in the reality of loving the people of God, of loving the church, which is my third point this morning. Give your whole heart to the church of God. Verses 7 to 8 make that clear. Look at the language Paul uses there. He refers to himself as a mother, caring. He, the church is not his duty. The church is not the apostle's job. He loved 
the church. He suffered for the church. He gave himself to her and for her good. The church was dear to him. It says affectionately desirous. That could be translated, he loved fervently, fervently loved the church. The word there, very dear, means beloved. It comes from the word agapetos, which is itself derived from the Greek word agape, which, of course, most of you will know. That, that is referred to the sac- agape means a sacrificial, unconditional love that God has for his people. And it should flow into his people and out of his people to those around them, especially the church. Does that describe you, my friends? How do you feel about the church? How do you feel about the people in this room and the church universal? It's one of the reasons why we go to the nations, even to people that we don't know that well, because we want to show them the love of God and because we love them, because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you love the church fervently? Is it dear to you? Are you... Are you loving it with an unconditional, sacrificial love that God himself has put into your heart so it can flow through you to those around you? Jesus says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love. For one another. Paul writes in the book of Romans, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. We're called to be a family together. We're called to have genuine love for one another. And Paul wrote that, even knowing that, as he wrote elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, that he says this, he says, that for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Paul loved everyone in the room, you see, even here in Thessalonica, even though he knew not everyone in the room was genuine, even though he knew that some of the people in the room were the ones that were spreading the rumors about him. He still loved them because he drew upon the supernatural, sacrificial love of God that was in him so that he could love the church. My friends, don't let your heart grow cold towards the church of God, particularly through distraction, but also through disappointment or through hurts that you may receive from the church itself or even leaders in the church. You might say, Sire, you, you don't understand. And you're right, I possibly don't understand, although I've got many of my own scars as well. If you speak to any leader, we have many, many scars from leading the church. But I do understand that God doesn't give you a way out of loving the people of God around you. In his grace, he'll give you grace to forgive and his Holy Spirit will help you to continue loving them. Which actually, if you're genuine, you must. You don't have a choice in it, because 1 John 4, verse 20 to 21, make it clear that we can't say we love God if we don't love 
the people of God as well. You see, God loves you and me, despite the fact that we constantly fail him. And his spirit is there to help you to love those around you, despite the fact that they may have failed you. His Holy Spirit wants to fill you afresh today, to give you fresh love for the people of God. If you love the church, which I know many of you in the room do, he wants to increase that love in you for his people, for his bride. If that love has grown cold, either, as I say, through distraction or through hurt, he wants to heal you today. He wants to revive that love for his people afresh in your heart today. Let him do that. Trust God. He has the best for you. And he has the best for me. He is totally faithful, as we've been singing about this morning. And we'll sing again in a minute. And he wants you in love to build his church. Because otherwise, we're just noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. We're called to be filled with the love of God and let the love of God flow out from us. So in closing, allow the Holy Spirit to fill you with fresh strength and boldness to declare the gospel despite any suffering that may come your way. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you a desire to please God more than anyone else. And allow the Holy Spirit to enable you, your whole heart, to love the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Can I invite the worship team back up here? Can I invite you to stand? I'm just going to pray for us all. Father God, thank you. You've been speaking so clearly this morning through the words that were brought, Lord God, through the worship time, Lord God, through your, your word, as we focus on 1 Thessalonians 2. Father, thank you that you love us. And Lord, I just pray, by your Holy Spirit, come now, Lord. Fill each person in this room afresh with your Holy Spirit. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, and you're thinking, actually... I realize I need to look to him. I realize I want to get right with God. And just pray this prayer in your heart with me. Just pray, Father God, forgive me of going my own way and of ignoring you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Through the power of your spirit, help me to live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name, I pray this. Amen. Amen. But for the rest of us, Lord, Father, I just pray, come and fill us afresh, Lord. We need a fresh touch from heaven. We need fresh love for, for your people. Lord, we so easily get distracted by things of the world. We so easily uh, lose focus on pleasing you and want to please ourselves or please somebody else, Lord God. Father, come and do that deep work in each heart in this room, Lord God. We want the best for each person in this room, Lord God. And the best is a life given over to following you, a life given over to pleasing you, a life given over to extending your kingdom despite any opposition, 
Despite any trouble that comes our way, Lord God, Lord, we want to look to glorify you, knowing that our lives are in your hands, our lives are secure, our lives uh, have a purpose, Lord God, that goes beyond the grave, Lord God, that goes on into eternity. And so, Lord, I just pray for each person that you would captivate their hearts afresh this morning, Lord God. You would cause them to be given over to wanting to live for you and to please you. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.